Hello and welcome to episode 17 of Late Night Linux Extra, recorded mostly on the 26th of February 2021. I'm Joe. This is another recording from one of the community meetups, and thank you everyone who's been turning up to those. It's been really great. It's really gathering some momentum now. The next one we're going to do on Friday the 26th of March at 10pm UK time. Details at latenightlinux.com slash mumble. Now, we tried Thursday. I think let's go back to Friday and maybe alternate. I don't know. We'll have to see. But Friday, 26th of March, 10pm UK time. That's what you need to know for the next one. And also, thank you to everyone who is supporting us on PayPal and Patreon. That really is appreciated. You can find details of that at latenightlinux.com slash support. And remember, for $5 or more per month on Patreon, you can get an advert-free RSS feed. Just a quick mention that there's a little bit of bad language on this one, a bit of swearing, so you have been warned. It's it's not quite to the uh, same extent as the main show, where I just F and blind like a sailor. This is a couple of times, I think, so be prepared for that. In the past, it's been generally safe for work, so you have been warned. But with that out of the way, let's get straight on with it. How do we get the next generation of kids into FOSS and Linux? Now, the first thing that most people will say is Raspberry Pi and coding and all of that, which is fair enough, but what other ways are there to get kids into Linux? To use as a jumping off point, but not talk about it, one of the reasons that Eben Upton said he created the Raspberry Pi is because he was seeing kids treat computers like black box appliances. So, and I see this because I repair computers. So I don't know why I'm still shocked because it's happened so often, but I'll have like a teenage kid come to me and say his computer's broken and have absolutely no idea what's going on inside and not necessarily have a passion for how it works, just the passion that it works, even if someone else does it for them and the one interesting experience i had was when a kid had punched his laptop in anger because it was too slow and it had fallen off his table and it was quite badly broken and his father called me and said i want you to sit with him and he watches your repair and you talk him through it because he needs to learn what he's done and he was actually really interested when we sat there and did it and i fostered like an enthusiasm for the hardware and and his dad was running linux as well weirdly um, and he probably could have fixed the computer himself but once i'd shown him that and we started talking about linux it was a good way to be like this isn't just the thing you punch when it goes wrong like there is an option for you to repair it both hardware and software wise now i haven't had a chance to check in with that kid again but I think that's one of the things of seeing computers as malleable tools that kids can use rather than like a black box appliance that they use to watch YouTube or play Minecraft without having to think about how that actually works. The question implied that you didn't want to talk about the programming side of using Linux or the way you learn about computers, but I think that's what Linux has got going for it. And so if, if you, you wouldn't get younger people interested in Linux for about the gaming possibilities, because that's all elsewhere. Um, so it has to be about software and, 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 and writing software and understanding how your computer works, I think. What about the privacy aspect of it and security and all of the other good things, that software freedom, for example? Is that just pissing in the wind, trying to get kids to care about that stuff? 
I would say that leading with that is a really hard sell. Leading with that narrative to try and get people excited about free software and different licensing agreements and stuff like that. That's, I think you're 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 going to struggle there. I think selling Linux as a Swiss Army knife, a versatile tool that you can change and manipulate to to get the job done that you're doing. I think that is a very powerful selling point of of Linux and, and the tools that come with it. I think that the mistake I felt was where you're trying to engage with that ecosystem and the front and center thing is about it being open and free. And that's an important point. But I think if you're trying to get someone who's inquisitive mind or actually is, is more importantly just trying to get a job done if you give them a tool that lets them do that and then almost whisper in their ears while they're doing that about why it's also good that it's free and open and and then, then you can start to bring in things like uh, once people get to do a little bit of programming they can understand that the source code is available and they can use all this kind of free libraries to build on and, and you can start to slowly introduce the other the other aspects that uh other important, but I guess you have to kind of get that hook, and I can't see. I'm not sure. Maybe it's hard to tell because I'm not a young person. But um, whether the security side or the the freedom side will be the hook that you get people in, into it with. I think the reason that I didn't want to come at this from the programming and Raspberry Pi side of things is I don't think that that has mass appeal. I think it takes a certain type of person to want to get into actually programming the computer whereas there are benefits for everyone to using linux and open source and most people are just going to be the consumers of software and so how do you get those types of kids into it is is it just is it a lost cause are they just going to be using ipads if you think about schools they're all doing programming now in primary secondary schools so the next generation is all going to be people who are at least familiar with the idea of programming but how many of those people will just be turned off by it and think oh that's like school shit that i just don't care about quite a lot you'd imagine yeah Mm. yeah and so how do you capture those kids and young adults a more accessible way in maybe is but it's disappearing. That's the shame of it. Like flashing lineage, for example, has elements of using Linux that isn't necessarily programming or flashing a custom ROM. And it basically means this device that a kid has, oh, I can't, you know, the, the, the version of Android is too old and this app won't install. And then you say to them, well, if you unlock the bootloader and install, because you know, lineage or something like that isn't quite the same as Linux, but it is taking what everyone else uses and using something else that opens up the possibilities. But the problem with that is that it's becoming harder to do. Mm. There really isn't that many manufacturers left that allow you to even unlock the bootloader of a device. Whereas before, the good thing about a tablet or a phone is you, you might have an old one lying around that because people keep them in drawers for some reason. They often don't recycle them. And it's a way to start to get used to the idea of expanding the possibilities of a device. But yeah, it's, it's not as easy as it used to be. Is communication the key? 
something that Martin Wimpress has talked about is being in the right place, and he thinks the right place is Discord, for example. If you're only on IRC or Mumble like we are now, you're not going to attract many of the next generation because they're all using proprietary services. Like, Do you need to be more open to using stuff like Discord to connect with them in the first place? Yeah, I'd say you do. I think, I think that everything you can do to lower that barrier of entry is an important step. And I think the way you get some of those really strong sort of almost religious opinions about Linux, about, oh, it should be open. If it's not open, I'm not going to use it. There, there has to be a bit of give and take there. There has to be a bit of, I think, a, a view that is is able to sort of facilitate a wider community and is more welcoming to other people is to say, well, I'd understand why you use that tool, but let me show you why this tool might also be quite good for what you're trying to do. But the first barrier to that is actually having a community, having a space where you can have that conversation. Spoken like a true WSL user, eh? <laughs> Indeed. One other thing, I guess, is I obviously get a lot of older equipment. And I know this is the conversation we had last time, but this week I met a charity locally and I was, because I was trying to give away a Core 2 Quad desktop. Like, I was like, well, it's a bit of a power sucker, but it still works. And the charity I met, they're taking basically anything that works and trying to put Linux on the stuff that is older and that's going to kids. So naturally because there is more demand than supply, the older machines, like at least the kids get a computer and they're putting Linux Mint on it, which I, you know, I'm not, I wasn't going to get into a debate about it because <laughs> I would have preferred Ubuntu, but you know, they're, they're putting Linux on computers and giving them to children for free. So they literally are giving them Linux. Um, I'm going to talk to the guy again, I think, when I have more donations. And I'm really interested to check in with him and be like, how's that actually going? Like, do the kids use it? Do the kids complain? Do the parents call up and say, this doesn't work, that doesn't work? Or on the contrary, are the kids coming back and saying, wow, I love this so much. Why didn't they show me this at school? Do you see what I mean? So, but that, that, I mean, that's a very, very hands-on approach. It's like, this is a laptop running Linux. Go play. <laughs> so. I would imagine that those kids will mostly be using a web browser and maybe Zoom and otherwise won't even really know that they're running Linux. I think that's a really good way of selling the use of Linux on like old hardware and, and stuff like that. But I guess without wishing to make uh, young people sound shallow, it kind of... It's quite good if you can make it seem cool as well and, and desirable in some way or, or something slightly better than what your, your rivals are using. So, And I think that's probably what's missing unless you're into the sort of tech side of doing it. Well, I've got some bad news for you, and that is that kids don't think anything with a laptop is cool. Like They use that as a tool for school, and that's it. Otherwise, they're glued to their phones and iPads at least in my experience like they're, they're not interested in most kids i'm massively generalizing here but most kids don't want to use a desktop operating system like i've told this story before my niece who's a teenager her phone screams all cracked um and because it's an iphone like it was going to take a day or two to fix it and she just couldn't be without a phone i said well can't you just do all the stuff that you do on your phone with your laptop and the face that she gave me it was like 
it was like I'd called a, a word that I can't say on air. Like, just just the idea of using a laptop for anything other than work that she is mandated to do, no chance. If that's what we need to do, getting a full kind of Linux desktop on a phone, then we're, we're way away from that. I happen to have a Pine phone, and it's nowhere near being ready for daily use. I don't think we need to get a full Linux desktop on a phone. I just think we need to have open source software on a phone that is good. And, you know, it doesn't necessarily have to be convergence and all the rest of it. Even if lineage with no Google apps and just stuff from F-Droid, if that was a compelling proposition for kids, that would be enough. But it just isn't. Fainim uses that because he loves the misery of it. But even most of us don't do that when we could. Yeah, the apps thing is the killer there. And I feel like apps have morphed into this horror show too because a lot of the time you're forced to use them and they want you to use them because they're a huge data point collection service. So that's a tough one, I think. Even um, when you do use Lineage, um, you, you have some applications that just won't run um, because they think your phone's rooted and yeah, banking apps and stuff, you can try and hide it with Magisk and it's just a ball ache, basically, yeah. And I think a lot of people are running Lineage not to run free and open source software, but for the, all the customization and that kind of stuff. And that's the real selling point. Well, to be honest, I am as well. It's security updates, mostly, and also customization. I, I can have it exactly how I want it with no bloatware, and all the rest of that. And yeah, okay, there are ways to get around that with a stock Android experience. But for the last two phones I've had, I've not used the stock experience at all the, uh, immediately upon getting them. And the tablet I've got as well, the first thing I did was flash lineage on it because I wanted to customize it. And I suppose like maybe to return to the original question, maybe we just have to accept that Linux is not for everyone. It is for certain types of person and that type of person is the tinkerer and the the kind of person who likes to know how things work and likes to customize things and maybe that's how we've got to sell it to kids of you've got the power to make it whatever you want and if that only attracts a certain percentage of kids like even if that's the one percent or whatever that we are of desktop usage well, so be it. As long as we keep where we are and tread water at least with the number of users proportionally to the users of other systems, maybe that's just good enough. I think that's our best shot, really. I quite like being in the 1% bracket as well. That's the thing. It's one of the attractions of of Linux because I feel like with growth comes potentially change. But that can be a good or a bad thing. I'm not necessarily making a value judgment on that. But it tends to make me like a little bit nervous. Like, you know, there's the long-standing rumor that Microsoft might buy Canonical or go into partnership with them. And that kind of thing would make me nervous because on the one hand, it would spread Ubuntu as an operating system massively but it would also spread Ubuntu as an operating system massively. <laughs> so it's, you know... Yeah. Well, I, I hate to break it to you, but that ship has long since sailed with WSL. This is true, yeah. Okay, this episode is sponsored by Linode. Go to linode.com slash late night Linux to get started with $100 free credit and 60 days to use it.
Linode offers cloud computing solutions in data centers all over the world. Whether it's scalable VMs with the choice of major distros or one-click apps and stacks, dedicated CPU and high RAM instances, block and object storage, or cloud firewalls and DDoS protection, Linode has everything you need for your personal projects right up to managed enterprise infrastructure. I recently moved our website over to Linode and it was really straightforward. And when I needed a mumble server for our community meetups, spinning up a new VM for that was an absolute breeze. Everything's been running flawlessly since I set it up, and I love the peace of mind I get from the automatic backups. So go to linode.com slash late night Linux, get your $100 credit, and check out Linode's great cloud hosting services and first class always available support. That's linode.com slash late night Linux. So somebody mentioned the sort of privacy angle and the and how that's a benefit for Linux. And if you look at the way when you install Windows 10, it puts every option by default for sending stuff to Microsoft. I can't believe that people just, you know, like click, 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 click through, or even most people will buy, I guess, a device with it pre-installed and they get all the extra kind of free software on top of it, not proper feature software, but all the demos of, of things, which are probably all selling home as well. If you could make that a compelling story for, for people to understand a little bit more about the options there, then maybe there's something there. I think you're onto something there to a degree, because if you look at the WhatsApp signal thing, it makes me laugh. Like I've had more contact from my IT clients who are all just residential users spread around my area in a panic about WhatsApp. And I'm like, but Facebook acquired WhatsApp quite a long time ago, and this has basically been happening anyway. And the terms of service are changing, yeah. But I've, I find it quite funny to wake up every day and just having used, I use Signal, but I was, it was a running joke with my like eight contacts on my phone that are on there. And now I'm waking up every morning to so-and-so join Signal, so-and-so join Signal. And WhatsApp got the spook by it and delayed the changes yeah and then they've kept they keep releasing mealy mouth statements pretending that they're not evil and i feel like if there was genuinely like a major windows snafu then you would get a sudden upsurge in interest in linux because of the privacy aspect but it's whether or not that can be sustained i think i think there's there's a deeper problem there that i think actually there is a significant amount of people that you will describe that level of the sort of data insight and and sort of the amount of information say google knows about you and they'll say yeah fine youtube works really well and and gmail works really well i don't care and uh, i think the 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 struggle with the privacy aspect is when push comes to shove i think people say well i think it's a price worth paying until as you say something horrific happens that does actually start to really affect people. But even in the US, when there was that massive Equifax uh, breach, it doesn't seem to have changed people's behaviors. It's just like, oh, that's a bit naff, but never mind, I'll carry on. The The service I'm getting for, for selling my data is still worth it. Yeah, it's true. It is true. I send people to the privacytools.io website, if any of you have ever been there. And it's a really amazing website with a quite good subreddit associated with it. But I mean, you know... I don't know anyone who's doing everything that it says on there. Even people that have like an interest in it are not doing everything on there. Yeah, and I think that if there was a big Windows controversy that drove a lot of people to check out Linux, I mean, I don't think that's very likely, but say that happened, they would get to Linux and realize that 
a lot of the software or some of the software that they rely on isn't there and they'd go straight back again. And surely that is the solution. We need more of that software, more of the proprietary stuff as an option. And people bash Canonical for snaps, right? And I did a whole extra episode with Popey about this to try and dispel some of those myths and try and ask him some of the tough questions. But if you look at what they've done, they've made it trivial to install a lot of proprietary software on Linux and made it possible to use things like Skype, for example. Skype was a fucking nightmare before the snap. Now it's much easier. And they are developing these relationships with these proprietary software companies and making it really easy to install those applications. And it doesn't matter. I was talking to someone about this the other day, about how we in the Linux world seem to want to fight about GNOME Shell and Plasma and you know moan about various things like horizontal workspaces or whatever. But it does not matter what the operating system and the desktop environment is like if the applications that people need to use are not there. Yeah, I think Microsoft Office is a big one as well. Like, I really like LibreOffice, like I really do. But if you're talking about final delivery format, for example, and this is important for kids like at school, if they're required to meet final formatting requirements for submitting essays for formal marking, you just can't rely on LibreOffice to spit out a file that the recipient is going to open in Microsoft Office and it's going to look right. And if there was a snap of Microsoft Office somehow, then that would fix that. Because the online version is fine, but it's not the same as the offline desktop client. It's a terrible situation that kids could be marked down for sending stuff in that they've made with LibreOffice, but that is just a fact of life. And if you open a file, it seems to happen less and less these days, but if you open a file and it just looks wrong and you can't get your work done, then that's enough for people to just never use LibreOffice again and just go back to Microsoft Office. So if we could get that situation, I mean, people talk about Adobe Suite and you know various creative things, but probably getting the whole office suite is more important than anything else. Yeah, because I, I think with the Adobe suite, there are professionals in various fields not using it. I know it's like the de facto, but at the end of the day, you can edit a professional film with DaVinci Resolve or with Blender or with um, even Caden Live, maybe, or you can use other photo editing software. As long as the, the end product is a film or a image that no one is going to care or notice what the back end was. Whereas, yeah, if the final delivery format of a Microsoft Word document is just a bit off, then people notice that, I think. Assuming there is there is a future where all these applications are available on the, the, the Linux desktop, does that still leave us enough of the benefits of a Linux desktop as we understand it today to be worthwhile? Or I firmly believe that, yeah, if they are just sitting in some software repository, be it Snaps or whatever, as long as they don't come pre-installed, it doesn't matter. Like if, if Just because you've got access to them doesn't mean you have to use them. And I wouldn't use Microsoft Office. I don't need it. LibreOffice is fine for me. But I think we need to have them there to attract the, the users. And maybe 
it would be a bad thing if they were just using Linux with just all proprietary shit on top of it. That's probably not a win worth fighting for. But maybe it is, I don't know. I just wonder how much you might lose in the process. Um, so I use Snaps and, and I've, I've published some stuff in Snaps and, and you know, it does have containment, but not always. And and so you, you may end up with a, a Linux desktop that is full of the, the kind of downsides of, of using Windows or Mac because you, you've, you've kind of compromised all that stuff.